This is an ABC podcast. Hello from Wurundjeri country, I'm Beverly Wang and this is Life Matters and here's my question for you. How do you go when it comes to speaking up for yourself at work on important matters like a pay rise or asking for a promotion? If that's a struggle and you'd like some help, you want to hear from our expert guest. And this week, our too hard basket is filled with a steaming pile of concern. Let's talk. Asking for what you want at work, whether it's for a change, for money, more money, or a promotion, these are all really important things. And most likely, they're things that we may encourage our friends, our family members, and our colleagues to do. But when it comes to asking for it for ourselves, why is it sometimes such a struggle? It can be very hard to muster up the courage to advocate for yourself in the workplace. So let's work on this together. Big welcome to Kelly McGowan, a career strategist and executive coach. Kelly spends a lot of time helping people get what they want at work, so she's perfect for this. She is going to be sharing some great tips on how to get started. Kelly, welcome to Life Matters. Thanks very much, Beverly. This is, I think, going to be a very popular topic among our listeners. Now, as a career coach, you for a living, help people have these conversations that they may find awkward or tricky. But have you ever had to negotiate something at work that you found difficult to approach? Uh, yeah, definitely. Particularly, uh, I think it's uh, even earlier on in my career, I didn't negotiate. Uh, but then as I advanced my career and got, got a bit more confident, confident I did. Um, and I think too, well, one of my sort of, when I change jobs. One of my requirements was I, I, for some reason, I like to drive to work. So I really valued having a car park. So that would be, or a place to park near near the office. It didn't obviously have to be at the office, but somewhere I could get to or a car park. Um, so that'd be something I'd negotiate into my contract. And particularly when you're younger, they're not necessarily looking to offer you a car park with your Perks role. Like that. Right. But it was a condition of what I knew I needed to be happy to come to work because I find uh, navigating, getting around really stressful. So knowing where I had to go every day and parking the same spot was really something that I valued and I put a high value on more than the monetary piece. So that's something that I got good at negotiating earlier on in my well, earlier on in my career as I advanced. Well, it's not always about money. It can be about things like a car park or other things that make it easier for you to get around. Now, I mentioned that um, sometimes it's hard for us to ask for our things for ourselves. Whereas, say, if we were talking to a friend, it's like, go for it. Absolutely. You definitely do this. You should you, do, you should do this. You deserve it. Why do you think there's that dis disconnect between how we support other people and how we support ourselves to ask for the very same things? Yes. It's a, well, I think there's a couple of things that go on there. Um, we probably don't solicit feedback enough Um particularly say if you're negotiating, you know, for our friends, we'll say, oh, you know, you're really good, but they don't really know. Um, if Unless they work with you, then their advice is, oh, they, they just, you know, they like they're you. Supportive. They're being supportive. Yes. But they're not giving you anything tangible. So part of it is also gathering information. If you are looking to, you know, change jobs or ask for a pay rise or a promotion, is to actually do some self-reflection. Um, look at who you were when you started potentially in that job and who you are now. And that might be, you know, two, three years later. And chances are you are a very different person, have achieved a lot in that time. But you haven't necessarily taken the time to step back and look at what you've achieved and the value that you've added. 
Also, by doing that, you can then go to colleagues, clients, customers and so on and get feedback from them about specific things that they've seen and valued that you've done. So then that becomes meaningful feedback, practical, tangible feedback that you can then use to kind of build your confidence but put forward your business case as to why you should get a salary increase or a promotion. Because often we're going to avoid saying, hey, give me more money or a promotion. Based on what? Why? If you don't have... um, any evidence or data, you can't show your kind of passion and commitment and your track record of success success and what you can achieve for them, they're probably going to say, well, you know, it's sort of just like a, you're just asking for money for nothing or a promotion for nothing. So we often avoid that uh, because it takes time to do that self-reflection and and most of us avoid that. Uh, I mean, even asking for feedback can be uncomfortable. But if you have that, then you're armed and you're confident to ask. If you don't, then it's just like, oh, yeah, I'd like a pay rise or a promotion, but it's simply just a dream. So you have to build a case for yourself and you have to be prepared going into that conversation. Uh, Sounds like a bit of strategy is involved. That's Kelly McGowan. Kelly is a career strategist and executive coach. We are talking about how to have those uh, trickier self-advocacy conversations for yourself at work, how to negotiate whatever it is that you need. Uh, Kelly mentioned a car park. Uh, I think a very common one is a pay or is more pay or a promotion or even flexible working conditions. Or if you want to tell us your story of how you successfully asked for something, or maybe it wasn't a success and you'd like to share or get some some, some uh, advice on how to go forward. Kelly, is there ever a right time to ask for these kinds of things? I think sometimes, especially if you're working in a workplace that has like a, a regular appraisal period, there tends to be a particular time of year that we ask for these things. But do we as employees necessarily have to adhere to those those workplace rules? Definitely not. <laughs> um, and the, the right time is when you're ready. And so, look, we can kind of postpone and put off asking for fear of, oh, I'll, I'll, I'll wait until the review. I'll, I'll wait until I've achieved this uh, study or I'll wait until I get this, then I'll ask. So it's that fear that holds us back, the fear of no. Uh, and no can mean uh, different things. So... There is, if you're in a point where you know you've achieved a lot, you're starting to feel a bit resentful too. So part of it is you need to value yourself. Um, So sometimes also the pay increase isn't always about the pay. It's about being validated that you're worth, that they value you and your own self-worth. So if you're starting to feel sort of disengaged or a bit, you know, unhappy about things, then that's the time to have the conversation, to, to do your research and present and to understand what's changed. Why are you unhappy? Um, Okay, so it might be, yeah, I I haven't been promoted. Uh, They've not seen all the great work I'm doing. So I need to go back and capture all this. I mean, most bosses are really busy as well, right? Um, So when you present a good case, they're more likely to go, oh, sorry, I wasn't aware of that. Oh, fantastic. That that is good. Okay. You know what I mean? Like you you have to kind of bring it to them. You have to come to them with solutions uh, rather than a lot of us will sort of sit back and uh, get a little bit resentful. Some people are, I think... Uh, a bit self-conscious yes. about talking themselves up. Is that part of the problem? It, it is. It's that, again, it comes back to the fear of, um, and this is capable people. You know, you know, most people go to work and do a great job and they go to work to do a great job. But again, it's that fear of, of no and talking themselves out of it. We kind of self-sabotage. Or the perception that, you know, you might be a bit up yourself. Yeah, it could be that you're... Um, or there's different, like, uh, sort of psychological things, yeah. I guess, that can go on. That fear of, you know, well, you don't ask for money, it's rude. Mm. Uh, or, 
the uh, you know you do wait until the the pay review cycle and that's when you have that conversation you have to follow follow the rules but also most of the time you don't get your pay increase you just get your standard CPI increase <laughs> in those pay cycles so again it's not necessarily a great time you know for salary reviews to to even you know you don't generally even get that much out of it it's better I think to advocate for yourself and do it when you're ready and you've got your business case um, you're confident and that's why it's also important to get that validation from other people to get that feedback because often it's like well do I just think I'm doing a good job do other people think I'm doing a job maybe it's just me maybe I maybe I'm overrating myself mm. so if you do ask for feedback again it builds the confidence to ask because yeah a lot of us aren't going to put ourselves out on a ledge and say hey you know I'm adding all this value here you're underpaying me or um, I'm adding all this value I've done my research you know, I kind of benchmark myself here. What do you think? You know, salaries have gone up. I've actually taken on all these extra responsibilities. And, you know, I'd like to schedule a, a pay review with you. And we are in a time of very low unemployment. So how does that position workers in terms of possibly having an advantage? Yeah, definitely. It's a great time um, for workers and job seekers to be negotiating. Uh, even just yesterday, I was talking to a friend who... Um, works at a hospital uh, in administration and you know they had been trying to find a staff member and two different people that offered and they took other they'd been given other job offers so there's less people there's competition there's for more workers. competition so if there is a time to be negotiating when you're job seeking it is definitely now and likewise if you're employed and it's been a while since your pay has been increased and you know that you're you're adding value. Again, you've kind of got feedback and validation from those around you. You're doing a good job. It's time then to sit down and put your business case together, make a time to have a one-on-one -on -one discussion with your boss, present your business case. And it's in that situation, you're renegotiating your contract. And that's where I think sometimes people can get a little bit, I think that can also be what puts people off. So we're kind of a pretty good one with job seek. We'll research our company that we're interviewing with. You know, we put our best foot forward, we prepare for the interview, and we are more inclined to negotiate the contract when we join an organisation. When you're looking to ask for a promotion or a salary review, you're effectively renegotiating your contract. So it's really important to look at it like that. Mm -hmm. um, you're, you're renegotiating the rules of engagement um, and what you need to be uh, effective and what you can offer them going forward. We have our first caller coming in, Annie in Sydney. Annie, welcome to Life Matters. What is the work conversation that you're you're looking at? Hi there. Um, I'm looking to have a chat with my workplace about paid maternity leave. Um, I got back from my first round of maternity leave at the end of January this year, and my workplace requires that we um, work for a full 12 months before we qualify for more paid maternity leave. But I find myself pregnant again a bit sooner than expected um, and I have a baby due in December. And I want to have a conversation with my workplace about either making an exception to the rule um, and approving paid maternity leave six or so weeks earlier or allowing me to use my leave balance, which is pretty substantial, to bring me up to the 12 months mark. Um, and just for a bit of context, I know that in the past, under different management, they have approved someone to get paid maternity leave before meeting the 12-month HR requirement. So I'm hoping that it will be a positive conversation, but I'm not sure if, you know, suggesting using my leave balance is an appropriate strategy or I I'm not really sure how to start that conversation. It sounds like you've done a bit of research there, Annie, and you found that uh, precedent. Um, 
Kelly McGowan. Any thoughts? Yeah, definitely. Um, well, congratulations, <laughs> first up. Um, yeah, so part of it too, when people negotiate, and this is um, where you've, you've raised a really great point. So you, you're kind of saying, I understand that, that they've already approved uh, changing the leave requirements for someone else. So there's a precedent there. I wouldn't rush to offer, I'll take my leave just yet. So kind of go in, say, I understand, um, you know, I love working here. Um, as you know, I've come back. I look forward to coming back after uh, my next child. I understand there is a uh, there is a ch- an opportunity to uh, change the maternity leave requirements, and I'd like to sit down and talk about that. Now, okay, so just leave it open to them. Leave it open to, to them. Come back to me. Correct. So, what happens often when? Yeah. So start with that because that's your negotiation point. You already know that 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 is a possibility, and then you can. Add that should you need to down the track. Uh, because also, okay. again, when people negotiate, sometimes we get, uh, we make it, so the other key is to keep it really factual. We often make it very emotive and emotional and then it becomes really verbose and people have, oh, this and that and, oh, but, but, but about this and that and they bring all the personal into it and then the person who's on the receiving end becomes kind of overwhelmed uh, and is less likely they to see it. This becomes a big problem. Whereas if you just present one thing, and you want to change this, then it's more likely to happen because it's easier for your boss to make that happen. Mm. So if I'm okay. understanding you correctly, Kelly, keep that offer of using the leave bounce in your back pocket. Correct. That's your plan yeah. B. Yeah. Okay. Oh, that's great. Yeah. Thank you. Well, it's great. I love it when we help people, you know, with these concrete daily things. It's, it's a very special kind of satisfaction. I imagine that you must feel this way sometimes when you have people come back to you and say, hey, I got that thing. I, I took your advice and I, and I was successful. That must be a great feeling. Hey, Kelly. It is. It is. And they, they have to work. Uh, you know, I kind of help and facilitate it. They do all the work. So they, you know, they should be really proud of themselves. Um, and actually this week I just got a, a message from a a coaching client I coached a few years ago who basically secured her dream role but uh, had to negotiate a few things uh, to make it happen because it was in another state. Um, and she was amazing, amazing person, amazing at what she does. A bit like we just described before, she made it really complicated and wanted all these different things and with the relocation, you know, wanting them to pay this, pay that. It's I always say kind of stick to three core things if you are negotiating. If you have a whole wish list, the, neg- the negotiation becomes too complicated and hard and, again, you're less likely to get what you're after. So if you just want, you know, if, if ultimately money's what's going to satisfy all those other requirements, just go for more money mm. or just pick a few areas. Anyway, she came back, she's that contract finished and now she's secured her next dream job. So it's like, she, this, and this job's amazing. Like she really got an amazing job and now it's this more amazing job and she was really <laughs> grateful because that also that, and that's probably part of the message as well, is it's about the uh, the salary negotiation and all the things that matter to you and your self-worth to then give you confidence to keep you know kicking goals in your career and keeps being satisfied with the work that you're doing I think you're touching on a lot of really interesting concepts and ideas there Kelly talking about emotion right perhaps we as workers because we are so committed to our work and we're so tied to who it makes us Mm. you know our identity there is a lot of emotion about asking for this thing but from the perspective of the boss or the manager it is not that at all it's not emotional it's a strategic financial 
uh, basically a conundrum. They they are not seeing it or having as much weight, emotional weight, as we as we are going yes. into that. So that's a really important thing to think about, isn't it? To Definitely. take that emotion out. Correct, taking the emotion out because also remember they're they're laden with problems and challenges and self doubt as well. Uh, so sometimes when you kind of dump a big problem on their desk, it's another big problem, and not it might be that they really like you as well and think you're good, but they also know that you're probably still going to stick around regardless. And, oh, yeah, they'll sort of dilly-dally, which is also when you are engaged, you know, oh, I've got to talk to whoever and whoever. And sometimes negotiations can go nowhere. And that's why, as you sort of uh, said before, Beverly, have a strategic approach, have a plan. And when you meet with them, okay, so you're going to talk to whoever, should I follow up with you in a week? Uh, So you actually have to control and drive it. It's like a business deal that you're doing. You know, you have to set the end goal, have your plan and keep on it because they'll forget it might drop off their to-do list, but it's top of your to-do list. Absolutely. Mm. Now, Kelly, before we took Annie, the caller, we were talking about uh, building your case and the renegotiation concept. Now, my question is, you build your case, Mm -hmm. you present it, uh, you've started that conversation, but the answer is no. And that can be sometimes an inflection point for people. I think, well, I'm not being valued. Should I leave? How do I I take that no? Uh, what What is your advice in response there? Yep, that's a, a great uh, question. And there, there's, I guess there's re- different reasons we, we don't ask. And then when we go and go through that process, we do have to be prepared for no. And no can mean different things. And sometimes people don't ask because they are afraid that they will hear no. And then that forces them to find another job, yeah. which they, that they might not necessarily, necessarily want to do, right? Exactly. So it's easier just to keep the status quo. Um uh, often, though, they say that so much research, we regret in action more than we regret action, like mm. tenfold. You know, people looking back don't regret taking most of the actions they do in their life, but they do regret not taking the actions. Um, so it is, yeah, it's important to understand that no can mean different things. Just like even if you're a parent or a grandparent or a carer, when you say no to a child, like sometimes it's a firm no. Sometimes, sometimes it can wear them down. <laughs> it's a soft no. Sometimes it's no, not now. Sometimes, yeah. okay, this and this has to happen. Then we get to a yes. Yeah. So it's understanding what that no might mean. And no might mean no, not exactly how you're asking, but let's see what we can negotiate. And that's why it's a negotiation. We're looking for a win-win outcome. So it's important to understand occasionally you might get a no, but then that's the cue to say, hey, they don't value me here. So value yourself and go somewhere where they do. So a no can still mean many things. It's not necessarily a pushback. It can have some positive to it. 100%. It might be, look, no, look, we really value you. We'd like to promote you. Let's look at the career plan that we can put together and over the next six months we'll monitor it and you if you achieve these and these targets let's sit down and talk about mm. the, the pay and the bonus or it might be no in these days two businesses some businesses particularly small businesses are struggling so it might be look no unfortunately we can't but can we can pay the same for four days or look we can give you some equity in the company or there might be things that they can do or you know we can look at it again and back pay you we're waiting on a big deal to happen. Who knows what's going on? But the key is to also give your employer and your boss the chance to say yes. So often we go with the negative mindset, they're going to say no. They're more likely to say yes than no. But we often think, we kind of, again, sabotage ourselves. They're going to say no, they're yeah. going to say no. It's like, yeah. well, all that self-talk can really yeah, all that self-talk. Yeah. It's like, well, yeah, they might, but more but likely, yes. more likely, particularly if you've done your research and you, you know, have sort of judged the situation right, They'll say yes. And also, even if these days, because, again, it's hard to find people, um, for most people, you know, if you do a 
decent enough job, they probably don't want to lose you. So paying you an extra $10,000 is easier than spending months and all this time and money trying to find someone else. So the sort of cost-benefit analysis may as well give them a pay increase. We like them having them hanging around. They're pretty good. We'll give them another 10K. Well, that like might keep them happy. Around. Here's $10,000 yeah, you know more I mean? like, just like to we, hang we, yeah, better, the, better the person we know than... Um, the great unknown. The great exactly. unknown. Yeah. We've got a lot of text coming in. Many questions on the text line, Kel. I'm going to shoot through a few with you. Uh, question one is, do you need to be going above and beyond doing extra projects on top of your role to get a pay rise? Uh, no, not necessarily. And so this is, again, sometimes we set uh, these we have these uh, ideas we have for ourselves and what it should look like. Um, so there's a couple of things you need to factor. So if you've been doing your job consistently well for a period of time, salaries have gone up a lot. And what also happens is they don't want to lose you because say you've been there a few years, the cost to get someone else too, not only the hiring costs, salaries probably are up 10, 20 grand. So no. So they, again, they might be like happy to, you might not get that 20, but you might get that 10 just by, just be, by being a really good, reliable, great employee. Um, and then also they might see a path for you, so they want to keep you. Now, you do have more leverage, I guess, the more you can kind of add, show the added value, but that doesn't mean you all have to have like a really long list of extra um, achievements. So sometimes it's also working smarter, not necessarily harder, and looking at the things that they value. So sometimes too, as employees, you know, say, look at what your boss values and how you can help them do better. Well, speaking of bosses, I've got a text coming in for you, Kelly, from Danielle. And Danielle says, as a CEO, I think you're offering great advice. When you're focused on the big picture and you're very busy, you can lose sight of what an individual is doing. So if someone comes with a clear articulation of their performance and evidence to back it up, I shout, hallelujah. Mm. How's that for positive reinforcement? Let's take a call now from Zoe in Melbourne. Welcome to Life Matters. Zoe, what's your question about negotiating for yourself at work? Oh, good morning, Beverly and Kelly. Um, thank you for this fantastic segment. Um, as a, a woman in the workforce, it's really useful to hear your advice. Um, my specific question is um, the, the conversation you're having this morning sort of uh, suggests or, or is in an environment where there's quite a lot of scope potentially for organisations to set rates of pay. Um, I work in the public sector where pay rates are very prescribed um, and, you know, within very defined bands. Um, my particular situation is I've reached the top of my band and am now no longer eligible for um, for a pay rise within the, the, the classification that I sit within. So wondering what your advice is for somebody in that kind of situation. Yeah, that's a, so I understand what you're saying. So when you are in those kind of situations where there are the bans, uh, sometimes, and I know when I've worked um, with senior people, it would be, it depends where you're at and what you're interested in, of course, but it might be they'll pay for you to do, you know, a, a senior executive MBA, which those can be over $100,000, or to go and study at Harvard and do a subject or something like that. Or sometimes there's scope for additional superannuation or cars and other kind of uh, benefits that you can uh, talk about if it is, because often, often the, the bands, the salary's fixed, but all the extras aren't fixed. I think, according to the EBA, it is they're fairly set conditions in <clears throat> excuse me in public sector organisations. But um, looking at scope for for other um, additions on top is is a good idea. Yeah, so often they do, particularly if you can kind of tie it back to say with further study, you can tie it back to 
what they're after. The other thing is, again, dropping a day of work or saying, well, look, you can't pay me anymore. So I'm going to use that day to either kind of pursue a passion project or work on my health and well-being. So you also might say the trade-off is, yeah, I'm, you know, I'm really successful in my career. I'm really loving it. Or I might use that day to sit on a board or do other things and they might pay for you to do a board uh, so program. just to, just so I understand what you're saying, Kelly, yeah. to negotiate that you get paid the same amount of money still, but drop back in in the amount of work that you do. Correct. So just do I'll do uh, four days for the same pay. What do you think about that, Zoe? <laughs> I think it's an interesting um, um, concept. I'd have to come up with a pretty uh, pretty solid case. I think in terms of the benefit to the organisation. Yeah. Well, again, if you feel that you're effective at what you do and you can do what you do in four days, why not? Because again, they're measuring you on the output, not on your time being present. Well, why not? Why not? What I would love to know how that turns out for you, Zoe. Thank you so much for calling in with your very interesting question. Let's go straight to another caller, Keith in Sydney. Welcome to Life Matters. What's your question? Yes, look, I'm phoning for a friend. Um, he um, he's been in the same job for about ten years with the same company. Of course, it's skilled work and specialised work. He's been on the same pay exactly for those 10 years in that time he's been he's got married he's had two kids he's taken on a mortgage his wife works difficult shifts in that time he's been asked to do more difficult shifts Um, he's been denied a pay rise he's even been denied redundancy when um, some of his colleagues have been offered redundancy and the grounds that he hasn't been offered redundancy are that he's indispensable. Mm. Yes. He seems to have no leverage. That He seems to have no leverage. How interesting. What do you think, listening to that, Kelly? Is there leverage well, there? I think there is leverage and it actually raises a good point. So there are, and we all know people and have worked with people who are so terrific at what they do and they're such good people and they're nice people and Everyone knows that if they ask them, they'll, they'll say yes. So part of it is for this particular person and people like that to set boundaries and really, again, about their self-worth. Is this is this good for me? Is this benefiting me as well as the organisation? Because there are just some people who are super nice and they're doing a great job and they're kind of just waiting for the boss to say, hey, we see you, we acknowledge what a great job you're doing and we really want you to, to reward you for it. Uh, and that's not... That's not good for the individual. So, again, it's really um, setting boundaries and, and saying no. And this um, friend of yours... Well, he, he, re- does, he does try, but um, even when he's been scheduled to have performance reviews, they've been put off and put off. So and, he's got yeah. leverage. So he needs to say, hey, I've done a great job here for 10 years. I've gone out of my way to go above and beyond. Um, and he, I guess he needs to build up that confidence, also scan the job market, see what else is out there So for him so he's got like a plan B or C. If they say no... Well, he's, he's done that, but um, and he's, he's said he's interested in other things. They know he's interested in other things, but they seem, well, I, they seem to have the drop on him, it seems to me. That seems like a, a tough situation there that Keith is describing about his friend. At some point, Kelly McGowan, is it time to perhaps, you know, take the option to look elsewhere. Correct. I think, again, for his own um, peace of mind and health and so on, often, to, like, he probably just needs to uh, resign. And he, if he is skilled, and he sounds like he's a lovely, great worker, he will easily find work in this market. So he needs to value himself. They're not looking after him at all. It sounds like they're actually taking, you know, advantage of him and they, they're not caring about him and his needs. So the only thing he can do, I, I suspect, is 
look elsewhere and he just probably needs to also do some reflection about psychologically what's keeping him there why is he staying given how they're treating him uh, and perhaps he needs a group of people his family and friends to help him make that transition out of that environment which isn't very good for him maybe well good on you Keith for calling in on behalf of your friend best of luck to them uh, questions via the text line Kelly uh, one person's asking when we negotiate for better conditions doesn't it raise the expectation stakes and hence your workplace stress uh, rises because you are expected to do more? So it depends on how and what you're negotiating. So by raising the expectations, I um, probably need to understand a little bit more about when you, if you take on more I suppose more there's an expectation job. that if you get paid more, you should be doing more. That's my understanding. And then that causes stress in terms of having to, I suppose, prove that you've got to work to the level of the raise given. Yeah, I guess it depends on the kind of promotion you're, you're getting and the raise you're getting. So uh, obviously, if you're moving into a management or an executive role, you are working more. You do have more bandwidth. There is the expectation you've got more responsibility, and, and in turn, the salary reflects that. Um, so, but it's not the expectation that you uh, are disadvantaged by. It. You know, you still need to be able to come to work and have a reasonable workload. Um, again, going back to that contract, we sign an employment contract, which is a, an exchange of our time and expertise for a certain period of time for money. All right, and there's the you know assumption that it's a safe environment, et cetera, et cetera. So if that kind of in contracts changed, um, then yes. So the the role that you initially did has shifted, and there's additional responsibilities. But also remember, you'll lose some of those responsibilities too. So as you manage people, you're doing less of the the doing and more of the managing. So there's the expectation that there's less doing and more managing, and that's a. a, a, a in turn as you know a higher sort of valued skill set and the the money reflects that uh, but it doesn't necessarily mean you need to work uh, okay. 80 hours instead of 40. So that concern I think we're, we're trying to put the, to bed that concern of having to to work more for that money um, and often you know that's a reflection of work you've already done that you get promoted so yes. there's also that factor to think about. Uh, James has a very interesting approach that uh, had, and texted in to share and says I used chat GPT to help write my raise request I inputted my successes above and beyond it wrote it better than I would have as I felt nervous asking for it and it succeeded. Well done. How interesting what do you think about the idea of using AI to help you get a pay rise, Kelly? Well, again, I think it's good because it will clear out the emotion, <laughs> wouldn't it? <laughs> yeah, it's it's right. data. It's taking the emotion out. And that's a great point, too, that um, he's raised is that think, treat it again like a business negotiation. So go in, you know, email. This is the agenda that we're going to follow. Go in with your notes to the meeting. Have a one-on-one -on -one meeting in person with your boss if you can. So really treat it in a formal way. If you sort of make it really casual, then it's really easy to say no. Whereas if you make it formal, and like I mean business, I'm serious here, then they're more likely to take you seriously rather than, hey, you haven't had a pay rise for a while. They're just going to dismiss it. Like, because it's just very... Make, make it harder for them to say no. Correct. And show them that you're invested and really serious about it, that you're not just sort of, you know, making some jokes and, you know, there's some truth there, but you're not really committed. So you have to show your commitment. I wonder, Kelly, if you've noticed or you have any research to um, tell us whether a willingness or reluctance to ask for what you want varies by generation, by gender or other demographic characteristics. I think I've seen a headline saying that Gen Z is actually very good and forthright at this kind of thing, aren't they? They are, yeah. And yeah, I think it's wonderful that they are. Like, you know, it's, it can be frustrating too if you're on the receiving end. But again, they are, they know what they need to 
to function and to do well and they're, they're valuing themselves. So, and they're again in a market where they can move around. That might change. In, I mean, I hope they still keep those attributes, but they might have to work a bit harder to justify their value as the market changes as they get older. But um, yeah, they, they can, I know one of my um, friends, she had a staff member who, and she's an amazingly you know, experienced uh, lady in HR. She'd hired someone who hadn't had HR experience and she's kind of coached and mentored her. She was a, a younger person. And then she's like, I'm seeing all these jobs on Seek that are paying 20 grand more than you're giving me. And uh, and so she had to kind of go back to her and say, well, yes, but these people have five years experience. You've got six months experience and I'm here to coach and train you and develop you. So, you know, in this situation, she did say no to her because it's kind of, they and again, good on them. If some, some of them are able to negotiate more and bounce around and get more money, fantastic. But sometimes you're going to hear no as well. So in this situation, this boss said, well, hey, you know, we're not in a position to pay that and you don't have the value that someone, you know... That, with more experience. With more experience. So because cause I'm investing a lot of time in training you and teaching you and developing you, you don't have the qualifications. And so this is part of the uh, agreement, right? Mm-hmm. So... What about gender? Do you find that uh, there's a difference in the way different genders approach negotiating for themselves? Uh, to a degree, but again, it's more personality type. So it's more, uh, you know, again, people who are, I guess probably in sales and so on, and you know, sometimes men are probably better at negotiating purely because a lot of them can often take the emotion out of it. They and they just like, I just want more money. You know, like they're really coming, okay, you know, this. I want the bonus and this. So they're more um, clinical about it in a way, often, but not all. Some of them are very, again, you know, they do a great job. They work really hard and kind of just waiting to be... Um, waiting so to be noticed. Noticed. And that could also be a generational thing too. You mm-hmm. don't, you know, you're loyal to your employer, you work hard and so on. Um, women traditionally probably do ask less than uh, men, but again, younger generations are changing that. Mm. Okay, let's take a call from Mark in Balmain. Mark, welcome to Life Matters. What do you want to say about negotiating for yourself at work? Oh, look, I was more interested in like the wider thing and what Kelly thought. Um, Kelly, what I noticed when I traveled around the United States was a big working poor. Um, and in Australia, um, I could give you a few examples of these, these labor hire companies. I'm hearing the federal government's trying to bring in some legislation and a policy about um, same job, same pay. So, for example, um, I've got a brother who's a, an airline pilot. He's with Qantas and he's a captain. And yet the captain who's flying a similar aircraft to him is on a lot less money than he's on. Mm-hmm. Um, and I could give you examples of bus drivers um, who worked with state government, but now it's privatised, who are on less money than the guys who were driving the same hours, the same bus. Um, et cetera, et cetera. So do you see with this, with, I'm not sure if you're aware of the government policy, it was in the paper today, uh, I'd imagine you are. Um, where do you see like Australia going in, in terms of this kind of same job, same pay um, environment? That's a really interesting question, Kelly. I mean, it also ties into pay transparency and the gig economy. A lot of what we're talking about today may not apply if you are in insecure work, for example. Um, yes, I, I can understand. I'm, to be honest, I'm not actually sure where that will go, and I, I don't know if anyone uh, is sure at this stage, uh, you know, same work, same pay. Uh, look, it might relate to some sectors. It might come in for some professions, but maybe not others, so we'll sort of have to see how that 
unfolds. Um, so again, with the the sort of gig economy and so on, there is um, sometimes people choose the gig economy. They like um, the, the flexibility. The flexibility, and so with that comes a trade off. And I'm, I myself do that as well. Like, I, but for me, I value my freedom and autonomy more than. Um, than perhaps the certainty the on- of, of ongoing work. of ongoing employment. Yep. You know, I don't get the superannuation benefits and so on, but that's okay because I know, and this is thinking about who you are and how you like. So some, it's, I guess it depends if you have a choice. Mm-hmm. So some people choose that and some people don't, which I understand too, particularly, you know, um, students, migrants and so on might have to start off that way sometimes while they find their feet. And again, it's about valuing yourself, building your... Um, kind of career portfolio, documenting, capturing, networking, building building your career. A lot of texts coming in, uh, just show, being very pro-union, saying unions, union, un- unions, Those that's the way to go. So I just want to acknowledge that voice coming in there. Um, and I think, Kelly, something else that strikes me is that when we talk about these conversations, are we talking also about the necessity to, among colleagues, be transparent with our pay and, and kind of break that taboo of not talking about money so that everybody understands where they are on this playing field? Uh, yeah, that's an interesting question around, uh, and probably that we're saying sort of the differences between genders. Men probably do talk more about their pay than women. Very rarely, I don't know many women or any really who would talk about their pay with other women. So women actually also don't have those discussions. We kind of talk about how we save money. Oh, I've got this on, on sale and yeah, awesome. Sure. Wasn't this fantastic? Whereas men probably are more likely to have conversations about their pay and, hey, I'm doing better than you and, you know, I've got a bonus, good on me, you know, yeah. that kind of thing. We've got about two minutes. I want to squeeze in a final call from Sam with a quick question. Welcome to Life Matters. What's your question? Yeah, thanks very much. So um, I am in one of those uh, situations where my employer is really not willing to negotiate and it's a sort of quite a toxic workplace where all the staff are very undervalued, but it's also a very small sector. Excuse me. So I'd be interested in your advice about if you're sort of trying to move out and sort of recognising you're not going to get what you want here, what kind of advice would you have about pitching with sort of meetings and so on with other potential employers in a context where it is such a small sector and everyone kind of knows everyone? Yeah, that's you can see that there's some challenges there. Again, still doing your research, being clear about the value that you add, the you know, uh, and whether you look at that same sector or similar sectors to broaden the reach. Uh, and again, just ensuring that you know, if you sort of ask around, like you said, it is a small sector, so people do know each other. Perhaps test the field and see how much trust there is if you are asking confidentiality in, in a confidential way about what's going on and seeing what the appetite is. So maybe plant a couple of seeds and see how it goes. The other thing is. Ultimately, if it is toxic and it's not good for you, it doesn't matter. Um, again, have your plan B. You can always sort of contract temp, find something else, and maybe even if you kind of uh, if they find out you're looking, that doesn't matter because you are looking. Do you know what I mean? Like sometimes we're worrying about things which um, perhaps aren't necessarily worrying about worth worrying about just sort of plan your path forward and follow it knowing that there's lots of also work opportunities out there at the moment it is a job seekers market so you you can always find work is what i'm saying 
Thank you so much, and I hope that helps you, Sam. Uh, Kelly, we're going to end it there. Thank you so much for all of your advice, and uh, I think a lot of, just based on the response we've had, that people have gotten a lot out of this conversation. That's Kelly McGowan, a career strategist and executive coach. Uh, we are heading to the two hard basket very soon, but let me just read a few more of your texts. Uh, Greg in Long Beach says before, uh, I joined a union so I wouldn't have to negotiate salary. My son-in-law has con- was kindly supported by his bosses to make a pay rise claim in his first year, almost doubled his salary, but clearly he had no idea how to negotiate his starting salary. And Jennifer writes, incredibly important advice for younger women negotiating and building careers. It helps them set up well for later in life. It's crucial, as we know, the homelessness crisis we are facing for older women. So many important messages. Thank you very much. Keep them coming. Up next, the Too Hard Basket. What's it like to be conned? (laughs) You feel a little dirty. Australia has had its fair share of literary hoaxes and in the new series, Fakes and Frauds, I unpack the book scandals that rocked Australia. One book at a time. There's plagiarism, there's fake identity and there's a master con artist. She is the best there is. Fakes and Frauds on the book show with me, Sarah Lestrange. Hear it now on the ABC Listen app. Got an issue you just can't fix? On the fence about what direction you should take? Been wrestling with a situation that's out of control? Let's take it out of the too hard basket. If you're a dog owner, do you always pick up after your dog? I think most dog owners would insist that they do. But that obviously can't be true, judging by the evidence up and down the footpaths of this fine nation. A big welcome to our problem-solving two hard basketeers, award-winning Yorta Yorta Melbourne-based writer and broadcaster Daniel James, and actor, singer, and writer Michelle Brazier. Welcome to the two hard basket. Wonderful to be here. Hello. Hi. So, before we get into the main part of the dilemma, I'd like to get your quick take on dog owners who don't pick up after their pets when they're out on a walk. Daniel, how do you rate this offence? How bad? That is it? I wouldn't call it. I mean, I don't want to be hyperbolic here on the oh, uh, go ahead. cerebral uh, branch of the uh, ABC Radio family. We're talking about family. dog poo, Daniel. It's all good. Um, <laughs> so I don't want to call it a crime against humanity, but it is a crime against humans. Okay. Elaborate a little bit. Well, I mean, it's not really the dog's fault, is it? But it's the, it's the owner's fault. <laughs> yes. And one would have to ask... Where would the dog owner be going that would be so important mm. as to you know not pick up after after their dog? What's what's the rush? Yeah, where are you are, going? A are they meeting? going to find the secrets of to dark matter, for instance? Are they going to cancel a quad meeting or uh, some such? Yes, that's a very you've raised a lot of really important Got questions. To put these things in perspective. Yeah, thank you, Daniel. I appreciate that, Michelle. What about you? Where do you rate this offence? Oh, that feels to me like Daniel doesn't have a dog. The amount of times you find yourself, you pull out your last bag, it breaks and you have no options or your dog has diarrhea and you physically cannot pick it up. I think, you know, I think it also depends as a sliding scale. Is it in the middle of a footpath? Is it? off the path in a bushy area. Like, I think there's a real sliding scale of offense. Sliding scale. I love your choice of words there, Michelle. Uh, Let's get to Seth's dilemma. Seth writes, I recently went on holiday to the Gold Coast, a place full of fit people walking with their dogs. Now, don't get me wrong. 
I love dogs. My dog is like my firstborn. But some people just shouldn't have dogs. I was walking along the street on a busy Friday night with my partner and friends. We stopped at the lights, waiting for them to change because it was school holidays. There were about 20 people next to us. Right at the front of the pack was a woman with her big golden retriever. While we were waiting, the dog dropped a big sloppy poo right in the middle of the walkway. The dog's owners bent down to pick it up, but when the lights changed, she stopped what she was doing. And crossed the road. I was right behind her, nearly stepped in it because she had only picked up half of the poo. She left the rest right in the middle of the path. I was annoyed, but said nothing. Just ranted grumpily about it to my friends. I'm at the end of my tether with dog owners not picking up or half picking up after the dogs. Should I have said something? It's frustrating that you should even have to mention something that seems like basic care. What do you think when you see a dog owner not picking up after their dog, Daniel? I, I yes yeah I, I politely remind the uh, the dog owner of their、uh, civic duties. I also remind the dog owner of、um, to take into account the reputation of their dog. Ah.、Um, the dog may not want to be seen again in the dog park. Yes, the dog might assume that their owner or their you know their parent was going to take care of them responsibly responsibly, and it's quite shameful that they didn't. And yet they've humiliated、mm. him or her in the middle of、uh, you know.、Uh, Traffic in,、mm-hmm. in, in the middle of a major city.、Mm-hmm. Uh, again, I, I, I would ask, what is the reason you had to get up and leave so quickly? Is there a beating heart in the hospital the somewhere? They had to get to the other side of the street. Yeah, is, the, is their favourite barista knocking off? I don't know, but、um, <laughs> it's、uh, it, it beggars belief, and it also makes me think. Well, what's the point of social media? If you can't get out your phone and name and shame these people, right?、You、I、know. guess I mean she, harsh she, but fair. They walked so quickly they couldn't even pick up the poo, let alone catch their name. But Michelle, you're an ambassador for Guide Dogs Australia. Does this very important role shape give you some context or compassion for Seth's dilemma? Yeah, I, I, I mean, I don't. I think that Seth is worrying too much about other people's stuff.、Um, if you stepped in it, I'd be like, okay, sure, this is very upsetting. But you didn't step in it. As an amber, I mean, my dog. She's an ambassador dog. I always pick up after her.、Um, a lot of the time, she's wearing her guide dog's little outfit. So obviously, it would be humiliating、you、if need, I didn't、yeah. pick up after her. But I also just want to say quickly, like shout out to that golden retriever for offsetting beauty standards. A golden retriever is the hot girl of dogs and has famously like never pooed like girls don't. So I think that's awesome to hear that a golden retriever is pooing in public. Just、oh, for starters,、uh, golden retrievers they love their food, so it definitely has to come out the other end at some point.、Um, oh yeah, I mean I've got a lab, so we know. But that's all we have to say, Daniel. What do you think about the details that Seth has given us about the crosswalk, the crowds, the timing, even the consistency? Obviously, Seth. This has marked them. It's it's living in their mind, rent free. What are the details that are jumping out to you? Well,、uh, the the word sloppy、yeah. was used, and I'm I'm used to that word being applied to aspects of my life. But in this particular instance, I've seen dog owners actually get out of their bottle of water, and actually, if it's on the if it's on the footpath, use the water to sort of you know splash. I love that. What is left away. And if there are solid elements, I can't believe I'm on the ABC talking about I, this. But, I know、um, it's wonderful, if, isn't if, it? If there, if there are uh, uh, solid fecal elements、yes. that、uh, the golden retriever has left behind, then use、uh, y- y- your bag. And if you don't have a bag or a bag breaks, then you've got to think of contingencies. Yeah. You know, I mean, we got to the moon, and I understand getting to the moon. There's a whole bunch of contingencies they have to take into account to、oh, get there.、Yeah. So surely we can, you know, prepare ourselves if we're taking our dog for a walk,、uh, just to have perhaps half a dozen. Bags. Yeah, half a dozen bags. When I had a dog, I used to carry a bag full of bags. 
I never want to be caught out without a bag or you a broken see, bag. You it's seem awful. like a really responsible, dutiful citizen to Thank me. You. We've only just met. But, <laughs> Thank you, uh, Daniel. I appreciate this. Um, Michelle, are there basic unwritten rules of how to uh, look after our dogs in public? I think you know, this understanding that people should pick up, we do have this understanding, but it's not written down anywhere. So what are the what are the rules of dog dog care etiquette when out of the house? And how do we understand them? I mean, I think like socially we enforce them, but there are also signs everywhere saying pick up after your dog, you know, dogs must be unleashed. But there's things that people don't do. Um, I also like, you know, if my dog does a sloppy poo, mm-hmm. I thank you for listening beautiful ABC listeners <laughs> if my dog does a, a sloppy poo and I'll pick up what I can and then I will always put leaves on top of what I can't get rid of so that people don't get it on their shoes or whatever um, that's my go-to and I think like I've got a few friends who do that as well who've just sort of done that independently I think there are worse rules I mean listen the poo is not great but there are people getting around like with their dogs off leaves not asking dogs other other dog owners if their dog is going to be okay with that mm. you know there's much more issues that we can be thinking about if we're going to start talking about people not being dog owners and not being able to have dogs i i'm not worried that's about a big the, can of worms okay yeah. well i'm a bit concerned about i i on the one hand i appreciate the the leafy camouflage michelle but on the other hand i'm worried about slippage you know that sounds like oh, yeah it, it depends yeah it's like that's after you've washed it away and there's like it's you know, there's nothing to slip on that. Okay, so let's role play a little bit. Let's say you are walking your magnificent golden retriever on the Gold Coast. You are on a very busy street corner. There are no oh leaves God. about. Am I wearing matching um, activewear? You can wear whatever you like, Michelle Brazier. Okay, uh, awesome. And, and, and you are waiting to cross that street. Tick, 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 tick. And then you go. What do you do in this situation? There's not a leaf in sight. There's not a leaf inside. Mm. If I have a drink bottle, I'll wash it away. Mm-hmm. If I can't have a wash, if I can't do that, I'll just pick up what I can and I will get out of the road because that's not safe for me and that's not safe for my dog. Like, you have a bag, time. obviously, when you're picking up what you can. Yeah, I always okay. have a bag. Good, okay. good to know. What about you? Yeah. What so about I don't you? want on my bare hands. Oh <laughs> yes, that's no. It's not my. That's vibe. a that's a no. That's a content warning there. Yeah, I'm not like a dog earth mother. <laughs> Daniel, I want to put you in the same situation, yes. and you can be wearing whatever outfit you want. Okay, thank Full you. Full body athleisure or whatever it is that you like. What do you do in this situation? Well, first of all, I'd be wearing a white tuxedo okay. with uh, a red <laughs> rose in the top right okay. pocket. I love this. Um, well, I'm just harping back to my mum used to have a uh, St. Bernard, and using um, Michelle's logic, she would have had to have taken the dog for a walk with a wheelbarrow of sand oh, no. as well. <laughs> Um, I would, I would pick up after the dog. I would mm-hmm. use the rest to, um, I would wash away the rest with uh, my water bottle, and then I'll get on with my day. But the traffic light is ticking and urging you across the street. Do you? It sounds like this dog owner was just rushing across, wanted to get across. I know where I fit in the scheme of things. I'm not very important at all, and so there is nowhere, in, except for the ABC, there is nowhere for me that's important for me to go to basically neglect my responsibilities as a dutiful citizen. Okay, I love that. You've got to get out of the street. There's cars coming. You know, you've got to get your dog safely across the but road. But they could just stay on the same corner, Michelle. Just, I'm not going to go and stand in the middle of and the intersection. And cross on the next it's not, light. It's not in the intersection. It's on the corner. It's on the corner. That's my understanding. Okay. 
Yeah, the urgency is less if it's on the corner. You stay and you sort it out. But also, like, you can't always sort it out. And and Seth, stop thinking about other people's problems. Deal with what's going on inside. That's my personal opinion. <laughs> now, we, have, we had a lot of active comments on the Facebook page. And some people are raising the fact that confrontation is risky. Christine said, I asked the owner once to pick up after their dogs. They did, but snuck back in the night and put it in my letterbox. So I say <gasps> nothing now. And someone else wrote, I wouldn't say anything as I assume those types are sociopaths. They don't play by the rules and they're un- they are likely to assault you in some way by way of response. Do you, do you, is that something to weigh up actually? Is that, you know, politely saying, oh, excuse me, I think you've missed a spot or you left something behind. Uh, there is, do we have to worry about that kind of thing, Daniel? Well, I, I regret the letterbox incident. It was the, it was the worst of me. <laughs> oh, Daniel. Um, but yeah, you, you, need, you need to pick your time and place. And if, you've, if, you're, if you're living in society, then you can work out after a while who maybe is best to approach and who maybe isn't best to approach. Um, so you've got to be mindful of that. I, I totally agree with that. But in most circumstances, people are, are reasonable. Uh, people aren't looking for confrontation. If you just use you know, a measured tone and a, and a caring look, then that'll hopefully get you through most situations in life, including this one. Okay. Well, I appreciate both of you coming in and helping us wrestle through this this very difficult dilemma sent in by Seth. You can catch Daniel James on Triple R in Melbourne every Tuesday night at 7 p.m. on The Mission, or you can stream it online. And Michelle Brazier is at the Adelaide Cabaret Festival from the 9th to the 11th of June. Go to the Cabaret Festival website for details and tickets. If you have a dilemma in your too-hard basket, let us help you solve it, write it up, send it to lifematters at abc.net.au. A few more of your comments on this dilemma. Bridget says, carry extra bags. If you see someone else's dog doing a poo and not picking it up, give them the benefit of the doubt. Hand them the bag and say lightly, if that's your dog, I think you might need this and hand it over with a smile. We all miss where our pets make their mess sometimes. And sometimes they go more than once while you're out with them. If in doubt, be the kind of person who picks up extra when the park has run out of bags. Getting annoyed about it doesn't help anyone, least of all you. Drew says, I live near a lovely river with lots of bushland and walking tracks. People used to pick up the poo and throw the plastic bag with the poo into the bushes. But I think my favorite comment goes to DC who said, put this one in the too soft basket. DC, gold star to you. And that's it for Life Matters for the week. Hillary Harper is back from Monday. A huge thank you to the Life Matters team who bring you all the stories you hear across the week. Our producers are Beck Zajac, Lisa Needham, Michelle Weeks, Nat Tenchich, Beth Atkinson Quinton, Sky Kirkham, and our acting executive producer is Haley Crane. Our audio engineer is Brendan O'Neill. Remember, you can follow Life Matters on the ABC Listen app. Listen however long you want, listen whenever you want, listen for free, of course, because it's the ABC. Download the pink ABC Listen app, search for Life Matters, tap the heart so you can follow us and never miss an episode, and you have us at your fingertips. You can also write to Life Matters, lifematters at abc.net.au with your dilemma for the Too Hard Basket. I'm Beverly Wang. I will catch you again. See you later. You've been listening to an ABC podcast. Discover more great ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.